Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01, and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, we are continuing in our series, Meant for Good, a look at the life of Joseph as recorded in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. I hope you're reading along with us at home. If you haven't been reading along, now's the perfect time to get involved with that. Some great supplementary reading for your devotion time. Isn't it an awesome series? I'm, I'm really enjoying being in the life of Joseph. So much for us to learn and glean. It's just a really amazing story. We've been focusing, of course, on the person of Joseph throughout this series. We've also talked about his brothers. But today, we're going to look at someone we haven't talked about a whole lot yet, and that is Jacob, the father of Joseph. You know, Jacob had extraordinary experiences with God. They're recorded for us in the book of Genesis. He knew the Lord. There's no doubt about it. He knew him. I mean, think about it. Jacob's Ladder, recorded in Genesis 28. You might want to go back and look at that one also. More supplementary reading. He was, he was met by angels in Genesis 32. And then later in Genesis 32, we have the account of Jacob wrestling with God. He knew the Lord. Powerful, important experiences with God throughout his life. But in the midst of this Joseph narrative, you probably picked up on this, we get the sense that for about 20 plus years, this was not the case. He did not have these incredible experiences with God. In fact, quite the contrary, if you read through the account, you'll find that almost every time Jacob opens his mouth, something very negative comes out. Let's, let's look at Genesis, a few of these examples. Genesis 37 Verses 34 and 35, it says, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. He found out that Joseph was gone. He's living under the lie, the impression that he's, he's dead and he gives the impression, we, we talked about this, the ancient language suggests that he is saying, I'm going to mourn for many, many, many days, ongoing, no end in sight. Or then read in Genesis 42, here's another example of J Jacob in the Joseph narrative. He says, my son will not go down there with you. He's speaking of Benjamin now. His brother is dead, that's Joseph, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And then just for more emphasis, look at Genesis 44, 29. He says, if you take this one, that's Benjamin again, from, the, from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. He speaks of being bereaved. I mean, Jacob is really struggling. This man needs a hug. I mean, can't you see it? He needs a hug. He's struggling so badly. Jacob was preoccupied with himself. He was stuck in a rut of sorrow and pity. And Jacob experienced 
a different kind of famine. You know, we read about famine in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph and God's provision for the world through Joseph and providing grain. Well, Jacob experienced another kind of famine, the dryness of missing God. Hmm. The dryness of missing God. You know, this man, as far as we know, as we can see in the scriptures, for 22 years, he had none of those sweet and precious experiences with the Lord that he had previously experienced and enjoyed. He was depressed. He was overcome with grief. And we know this. During the pandemic, this has absolutely been an epidemic, an epidemic of depression. It's been said that perhaps even a greater threat than the virus is mental health, people struggling. Some of you feel this as I talk about it, this dryness, this missing of God. We miss the fellowship of the church. That's been something we've been missing. Well, there is some precedence here. You know, as we consider Jacob and wondering how real God felt to him, if we look at the book of Revelation, we see that, that Jesus actually addresses this in his people. I mean, look at the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus in Revelations 2.4. Jesus says, he says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You've forgotten your first love is how you may have heard this before. It seems like there's this pattern of behavior. And even the faithful people that we tend to stray. We sing in a song, prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to be a people who forget our first love. Or, or look at Genesis, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 3. Just turn the page. And look at Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Jesus again says, this time to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm. Do you ever find yourself feeling this way? I got a few questions I want to pose to us as we begin to look at the text today in Genesis 46. I think these are good checkpoints. You might want to write these down and reflect on these questions as we come into this. An honest assessment of self-evaluation, if you will, of where you are maybe today. Here's the first question. Have you forgotten God? Have you forgotten God? I'm not talking about like big time, long term forgetting God. Like how about this week? How about in the past 24 hours? Have you forgotten God? Or how about this question? Have you become, to use the biblical language, lukewarm? Have you, have you grown kind of just like not really passionate about the faith? Not seeking God with your whole heart, but really just kind of going through the motions? Have you become lukewarm? Have you known, like Jacob, precious experiences with God previously, but not lately? Does it seem like a long time since you came to Christ? Does that seem like something that was a mountaintop experience, but everything's been a valley since then? How about this question? This is a hard one. This kind of feels brutal, but it's honest. Have you become a counterfeit? I mean, is what you present on the outside very inconsistent with what's happening in your inward life? Are you full of doubt? Are you full of anger? Are you, are you, are you full of, of questions? 
but yet you portray something on the outside. And, and one last question, evaluation. How long has it been since God was real to you? Can you think of a time ever when God was real to you? I would suggest that we see Jacob, a patriarch, a quote-unquote hero of the faith, going through some of these same kind of questions. We're going to look today at Genesis 46, as I mentioned, and, and the great thing that I have to tell you today is that Genesis 46 tells us about an experience, a new experience, a fresh one that Jacob has with God. And I believe that this has meaning and pertinence to you and me as we, from time to time, face our own moments of questions and doubts and being lukewarm and forgetting God. So let's go to the text right away. I got to give you some backdrop information. This is really important. I want you just to turn to Genesis 45 for a moment. I want to pick up in verses 25 through 28 and just give you this because you got to know this as we go into Genesis 46, a bit of review, if you will. So they went up out of Egypt. This is the brothers. And they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is alive. He is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of the father Jacob revived. Finally, here's like the, the one bright spot. Jacob revives. And Israel, that's Jacob, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. I love it. Joseph is alive. Do you hear that? Joseph is alive. That's really reminiscent for us. It's as if the paradigm of resurrection faith is being introduced to us right here in the book of Genesis. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is foreshadowed through the life of Joseph. That God, through Joseph, is pointing to what he would indeed do through Jesus. And we see it right here. I love this. It gets me fired up. We see here that Joseph is, is like a picture. Him supposedly coming back to life, though he had been alive all along. To his father he was dead, and now he's alive. And it's as if we see here the resurrection faith paradigm being introduced in the book of Genesis. Long before Jesus would come as a man to earth. You know, it's only by the power of God that Joseph is alive. This is like a gospel announcement we see here in Genesis 45. It's like that the dead one lives. It reminds us of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah, right? We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's powerful. and We see it foreshadowed here. Okay, so Jacob has heard the news. He's going to Egypt. That's where we pick up in Genesis 46.1. Let's go there. So picking up. In the text, so Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now Jacob has a daunting journey ahead of him. I mean, you got to understand, this, this guy was over 100 years old at this point. I know that's hard to fathom, but over 100 years old. Not only that, he was going to be taking a journey of a great distance. And of course, he didn't have an air-conditioned car. He certainly didn't have a jet plane to jump on. This man was going to be in carts, headed to dusty Egypt on the way. And then when he got there, he was going to face the unknownness of being in Egypt, 
A guy who had lived in the same place for his entire life, now, or practically his entire life, now being sent to go somewhere else. But bigger than that, there was this question also about the promise of God. Yeah, remember, Jacob is a direct descendant of Abraham and Isaac. His father Isaac, his grandfather Abraham, and he therefore is an heir to the promise. And there was land promised to Abraham and his descendants. He's living in it, Canaan, at the time of this story's beginning. Could he actually leave Canaan to go to Egypt? I can't imagine that that Jacob wasn't wrestling with this question in his mind as he was considering all these things, that he was going to leave the promised land, promise given by God to his granddaddy and his father, and go to Egypt. But yet, here we find him. And he's not necessarily leaving the land of promise. That doesn't jeopardize the the promise. Leaving the land of promise doesn't jeopardize the promise. And so, despite his doubts, Jacob is called to trust the promise. Trust the promise. This is really important. You know, I believe that many of us today have doubts, have questions, are facing decisions. We have our our lukewarm faith that perhaps we're bringing to the table. Or maybe we've forgotten about God. And here's a reminder to us, trust the promise. In a world that's chaotic right now, where so much seems uncertain, Here's what God says. He says, trust the promise. You know, a while ago, we gave out these little booklets. Many of you have one. It's called God's Promises for You. I love these little booklets. We'd love to get you one. You can get a digital version on your own. They're very inexpensive. This book, God's Promises for You, is a topical um, way of reading the scriptures. And what does it do? It reminds us of of the promises of God. A lot of us need that right now. We are called to trust the promise. That's what Jacob was called to do as well. Let's go back to Genesis 46, picking up in verse 2. God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. You know, momentous decisions call for divine instruction rather than human impulse. Divine instruction is what Jacob needed. Yeah, big question. Am I really going to leave Canaan, the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, and go to Egypt? Big decision. He couldn't just rely on his own wisdom, human understanding, human impulse. No, Jacob needed to hear from God, and that's exactly what happens here. We have the introduction here of a theophany, okay? A theophany is a manifestation of God that's tangible to human senses. We see theophanies all throughout the Old Testament. You might want to do a little research. Another way you can read the scripture, there's so many ways we can read the Bible. You can read about the different theophanies that are present in the Old Testament. We've got this vision here, and these visions, these theophanies, have a pattern to them. You know, there's, 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 for instance, a commission that's given to the hearer, to the person God is appearing to. And, and Jacob here gets a commission. He gets a command from God. 
Not only that, there's, there's reassurance, typically, and a theophany. The listener is reassured about what he is being called to. And then finally, there's often a sign that accompanies the vision, the theophany. And so we see this theophany here, this vision, and this is really important in terms of Jacob knowing what to do. He didn't need just human wisdom or human understanding or human emotion. He needed divine inspiration and divine instruction for what he was going to face. And it's no different with us. I mean, there's no doubt that, that I'm talking right now to people who have decisions in front of them. Some of them big decisions. Should I marry this guy or should I marry this girl? Should, should, I, should I move to this place to take this job? How do I care for my, my aging parents? What am I going to do about the finances in my life? And you may be wondering, what do I do? Do I just trust human impulse? Do I go read some blog posts? And get my information there? No, no, no. We need divine instruction for the decisions that we face. And here's the great news for you. God has provided a, a manifestation rather, of himself to us. And he's done that in at least three ways. One is through the word of God. Look, we have the word of God. We have the commands of God for us. Written down, we can read them. Go back to the commands of God as you consider and weigh decisions. Knowing that we can receive reassurance. We can receive reassurance, yes, through God's word and also through prayer. There is, there is something about praying that brings us a peace that what, everyone? Passes all understanding. God gives us that reassurance. And then, yeah, we have been given a sign. God has given us a deposit. His Holy Spirit, his very presence in those who believe. We have the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so listen, momentous decisions absolutely call for divine instruction, not just human impulse or human reasoning. And so I would encourage you, turn to God's word. Turn to prayer. Trust the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. These things are absolutely important. And this was a big deal to Jacob. The, the theophany that he received was a huge deal to him because God was directing his steps, and only his steps, but his descendants' steps through this divine instruction. God's instruction limits our doubts and our fears. Jacob was probably having some doubts. Am I really going to leave Canaan, the promised land? What if I do this? Is this going to ruin everyone who's going to come after me? God's instruction has a way of eradicating our doubts and fears, limiting them. You see it? Okay, so if you are a person who's feeling like you've forgotten God, if you are a person who feels like you have become lukewarm, go to God's Word. Pray. Allow God to lead you through the Holy Spirit that lives in everyone who believes. Okay, man, this gets me excited are you fired up too? Let's go to Genesis 46 now, 5 and 7. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking them with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons, 
and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. So now we see Jacob facing the ch-ch-ch-changes. Here we go, right? Again, he's over 100 years old. That's happening. Not only that, he has to accept the new and the different. I mean, come on. No one really likes change that much. It's rare to find a person who enjoys change. Here's a man who's been living in the same house for many, many, many years, accustomed to the same routines, a certain culture. He's got it pretty good. And what's he being asked to do? He's being asked to pull up his stakes and move to a different place, to leave the promised land that was given to Abraham and Isaac and go to Egypt. And he's doing this, by the way, not just for Israel, his descendants, but God, I believe, is doing this for him. You know, we were talking about that rut that Jacob was in. I believe that God is trying to shake Jacob also in this process out of that rut. He's being asked to pull up the stakes and face the unknown in a different country. And, and we could call this the call of Jacob. We might label it the call of Jacob. And I believe that the call of Jacob has pertinence to our lives. I mean, for instance, if you're someone right now who's listening to this message and you're not a believer, you're, you're someone who would not consider yourself to be a Christian. First of all, let me say, thank you for listening. I think it's awesome that you are, are seeking God and, and perhaps asking questions. We're grateful that you are, you're with us today. And if you are someone who has those, change, those, those questions and you would consider yourself to not be a believer, I want to suggest to you that there's this thing that we talk about. I've already referenced it here this morning. That we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is at the very center of what a Christian believes. We believe in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And that might seem, to be totally honest, a very unusual and strange thing to a person who is not a Christian. In fact, the very idea of believing that, if you're not a Christian, may make you feel uneasy. I believe Jacob felt uneasy about the change he was going to have to face. But listen, if you are to become a Christ follower, someone who carries the label Christian, then it will be because you surrender to God, believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In order to know Christ, you have to embrace something new and different. So, perhaps God has never been real to you. Would you take that step of faith? Would you say, you know what, I'm going to embrace some change. Some change that may make me feel uneasy. Some change that may, at the outset, seem a little bit strange to me. But I'm going to let go and take a step of faith and believe that Jesus Christ indeed died as a sacrifice for me through his blood and through his body broken and that he was raised back to life. In order to know Christ, you have to embrace something new and something different. There's something for those who are listening today and don't believe. Yet, we hope you will believe. I pray that you will have the strength to believe to have faith and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's also, of course, something here for 
the believer, the person who would consider themselves a Christian and label themselves in that way. You know, there's a saying that's been popularized in the church for a few hundred years now, and, and that saying is this, the church reformed, always reforming. The church reformed, always reforming. And you know, you may hear that and think, oh boy, what's he going to change now? What's it going to be next? What's the new pastor going to do? No, 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 listen. I'm not talking about what, what I'm going to do. I'm talking about what he is going to do, what God is going to do. What he is going to change in the church is us. I mean, isn't that what we want? We want to be changed and transformed. I'm not talking about changing doctrine. No way. What I'm talking about is this. The church reformed, always reforming. In other words, that internally, in the heart of every believer, the church, the church isn't a building, the church is the people. The church is always reforming. We are being reformed and transformed in the likeness of Christ through the renewing minds. And so listen, our desire as a church is to see lives transformed, reformed by the Word and by the Spirit of God. Don't you want that? Well, if you do, here's, here's the really important point. Let that begin with us. It has to begin with us. If we desire truly to see the world transform, reform by the word and by the spirit of God, well, then we have to be willing ourselves to continually be reformed by the word and by the spirit of God. The church reformed always, always reforming, always being made into the likeness of, of Christ anew. And so it is time to stop running from God. You want to change? You want to be reformed? It's time to stop running from God. Some of us have been disobeying God. It's time to obey Him. Stop running from Him. It is time to stop playing games with yourself, with God, and with everyone around you, and be honest. Get real. It is time to stop being a phony. We're being called to be changed, to be transformed, to get out of the rut. God is tapping us on the shoulder and beckoning us to move on. That's what he's doing as pastors. He's saying, Jacob, it's time to get up on out of here and trust the promises and move forward in God and his mercy and in his kindness prepares us for the new and different. It could be that God right now is preparing you for the new and different. As we speak, as we look at this passage, He's saying to you, trust me, there's something new and something different. So maybe that means it's a fresh step for you. Maybe it's time for you to, to get engaged in reading the scriptures or to perhaps take a new approach, a fresh approach to reading the scriptures or to engage in a greater life of prayer. Maybe it's time for you to, to find a mentor, someone to walk with you and hold you accountable in your, in your walk with Jesus. Maybe it's time to grow as a parent to grow as a, as a spouse. But it's going to take time for you to embrace something new and different, to get out of the rut, and to pursue the promises of God that are before you. You have to take the step of faith. I'm so thankful that Jacob took that step. He trusted God, and he pursued the new and different. So look, I want to take you back to verses 1 and 2. There's something really important here that I want to share in closing. The Scripture says, Israel set out with all that was his, 
And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And as God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. Two things I want to point out to you. First of all, Jacob offered these sacrifices. This is really strange to us. I mean, so he, he lined up animals and he shed their blood. And this is something that's peculiar to us, but it was very familiar to Jacob. And Jacob was, was recentering himself. He was taking himself back because he knew. You know what I think Jacob knew? That he had no righteousness in himself. He knew it. If the past 22 years had shown him anything, it was that he had no righteousness in himself. That he was prone to wander. And I think that Jacob could have provided a list of a thousand reasons as to why God should have forsaken him or could have forsaken him. Jacob knew that a holy God would only be satisfied with righteousness by substitution and sacrifice. And so he had this little worship service. And he laid up these animals and he shed their blood because he knew that he himself was unrighteous. And there were a thousand reasons for God to forsake him, but he turned to him in humility and said, God help me. I present these sacrifices to you. And I love that when Jacob is beckoned by God, when God calls to him, Jacob, Jacob, what does he say? Here I am. Man, that's, that's a battle cry. That's a rally cry for Christ Church at Grove Farm as far as I'm concerned. We're a people who say, here I am. We're a people who collectively, if one voice say, here we are God. What do you want us to do? And so listen, here's how you can say, here I am. Acknowledge that you have no righteousness in yourself. Have you forgotten God? Have you become lukewarm? Are you, are you phony? Acknowledge that you have no righteousness in and of yourself. You know it. I know it. It's the first step. I mean, you and I could write a list of a thousand reasons as to why God could forsake us. But in his mercy, he does not. I want to point you to a beautiful scripture, a brilliant scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us. We don't need no animals. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God has provided this incredible sacrifice on our behalf. For those who know that they're unrighteous. For those who know there's a thousand reasons why God could walk away from us. God has done this. Jesus is our righteousness. And by his name, we have the power to return to our first love. Or maybe turn to to the first love for the first time. And to truly live. To truly live. We don't have to be a phony. We don't have to be stuck in our lukewarm ways We can remember God anew. I want to give you something you could do this week. Here's a point of action. You know, Jacob had this little personal worship service. Well, what if we were to do that this week? What if you and I were to in our homes, out in the woods somewhere, going for a walk on our back patio, out for a jog, whatever it is, you figure out the environment. 
What if we were to go to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that verse I just shared with you. Write it down, please. What if we were to go to Genesis, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and what if we were to pray? And what if we were to remember God's promises? And, and then to seek God's instruction and to embrace the new and the different that God has for us. I'm so thankful for Jacob. I'm so thankful that he, he trusted God. And I'm so thankful that God in his grace got him out of the rut and said, Jacob, there's something new and different. Remember my promises. Seek my instruction. My friends, let us be a church who continually says, yes, God, we will embrace the new and different. We will seek you. We will trust in your promises. May we be that church, my friends. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jacob and Joseph and these brothers. Oh, Lord, thank you for the faith that we see displayed in them despite their weakness, <laughs> despite their frailty. Oh God, we're grateful that you and your love and your mercy showed kindness to them and you gave them new opportunities to embrace the new and different. I pray God that, that all of us today would turn to you, that we would have our own little personal worship service and we'd say, God, thank you so much for sending him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Lord, we seek your instruction. God, we believe in your promises. And God, by faith today, we'll embrace the new and different. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for the one, our sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.